Well, greetings and welcome. This is the podcast Foundations for Discipleship, and this is episode 17. Since you have found this podcast, I would encourage you to find the others that are part of the discussion of the topics in the book Foundations, Bible Truths for Christian Growth. I'm Alan Brace, and I'm joined by a data link to Pastor Tim Barr. Howdy, Pastor. Hey, how are you doing? Good to see you, and thanks all for listening in. Yeah. I guess I should explain that Pastor Tim and I are not in the same room and uh, as we record this podcast and are only connected by a, a piece of wire to a, a plug-in over here. And, I don't see uh, how that could ever go wrong. That is <laughs> not scary at all. That data connection, we, we count on, on it a lot. So, Well, we've been in Chapter 7 of our book, and on this episode, we uh, begin on page 108, which is the second half of Chapter 7, talking about the local church. So. We start out with a question for you, Pastor. What's the difference between a Bible study and a local church? Because we have people involved in a discipleship group now, small group. Why is it important that they understand the differences between the two? Wow, that's a really important question. Because think about this. In a Bible study, you can pray. You can read the Bible. You can sing. Right? You could do a lot of things that a church does, so why even go beyond that in a local church? And, and I think there's a couple very important answers, and probably the most important answer to that is the New Testament pattern was not simply the starting of, of, of small groups, but it was the starting of small groups of Christians who gathered together under the offices of pastor in order to partake in the two ordinances. So if you think about this, in 1 Peter um, 5, the apostle Peter, right? Now, he was an apostle as, as the church is, he's about, ready to die, he's about ready to die. The church is transitioning. And he, he says in verse 1, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witnessing the sufferers of Christ and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. See, the expectation of the apostles is that pastors would shepherd local churches in their community. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're listening to this and you're th saying, hey, I'm part of a small group, I'm part of maybe a group of believers, maybe you even were in COVID and you're just listening to a service online and you kind of got tired of coming in or just kind of forgot how important it is to come into a local church. The New Testament pattern expected by the apostles is that the church actually gathers. The word ecclesia, the word church, means a gathering. We have to come together. Well, I think we, we've realized those who have returned to church um, and, and gathered as a congregation since COVID have realized what a joy it is, the, the fellowship that you can have when you're together, which is one of the things that, that a local church has, is just the fellowship amongst believers, like-minded believers. Um, but we're also there to study. We're also there to understand what the Bible says and, and to be taught the, some of the activities of the local church. And as you said, uh, the ordinances, uh, breaking of bread, the, the Lord's Supper. And probably as important as anything is we are to get together and, and worship together um, in prayer. Uh, I think that it's, it's very hard to do that if you're just in a little group and, you, and it's the same thing. Um, and, and as you said, we have to have a pastor to lead us, to keep us from, 
from uh, falling off and 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 uh, protect us from those wolves that and oftentimes they pick on small groups and uh, the other thing is you need deacons but you also need to serve in a church i think a lot of people go why do i need a church because it's very consumeristic mm-hmm. what will the church bring to me and i would just simply say your obligation as a Christian is not only to be served by a church, but to serve in the church. So if, if, if you're sitting there in your small group, or maybe you haven't quite returned yet, let me encourage you, you have an obligation not only to, to come and sit, but you have an obligation to come and serve. The, uh, the other thing about it, the local church, and, and I guess in this, for this discussion, we are talking about the local church as opposed to the universal church, which was the subject of our, our last podcast. Um, in this particular case, you know, the, the church is, the local church is central to New Testament writings. We, we see that in many places. Many of the books uh, were written to local leaders, to local pastors of specific churches uh, to give direction on how to lead and, and to deal with all the things that are going on in a local church. But it's also part of God's plan for his work. The local church is the basis for that. That's where we send people out from uh, on the local church level. You know, it's fascinating. The church gets started on the day um, of Pentecost, and Peter gets up and preaches. He calls people to salvation. Um, Over 3,000 souls are baptized. They're added to the church. But then what I love is it goes on to say in... Um, what is it? I can get the right reference here. Um, verse 42. So Acts 2.42, I almost said 41. Um, in Acts 2.42, that they devoted themselves. That is the key action word. And, and I think this is where a lot of Christians struggle. They know that churches are important, but they forget that the first response of churches at its beginning is an expected response that we see all the way through the book of Acts, then in the epistles, and that is that believers devote themselves, in this case of four things, doctrine, that's the teaching of God's word, that's their New Testament, to fellowship, that's building relationships, to breaking bread, which is communion, and to prayer, which there's a theological discussion here, is that include private prayer, but it certainly includes public prayer among the believers. So I just say this, the church's first gut response was to not just gather, but to devote themselves to the key elements of gathered worship. And that ought to be the natural response that we have for our lives for the rest of our lives. Yeah, it's uh, and to learn uh, and, and as part of that doctrine that you mentioned, we, we learn what God says to the local church, what what Christ's. Uh, commandment to us we think of uh, uh, the passage in in uh, Matthew that we call the Great Commission you know the Great Commission points to the local church to start and then move out from there go into all the world and preach the gospel and teach and I guess it's is it safe to assume that well I shouldn't say safe to assume but should a person just consider that if you're going out making disciples that they would automatically then become part of a local church is that part of what we're supposed to teach? Uh, absolutely. So Matthew 28, as you're going, make disciples as followers of Christ. Then you're called to Trinitarian baptism. 
baptizing them in the, the name singular, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, then teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. You go into the book of Acts, and you see it on display. It starts in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, then to the remotest parts of the earth. And what happens? You see Peter, eventually you see Paul going around community after community, preaching the gospel, believers are gathered, churches are started, elders are, are called, or elder pastors, same term, they're called to lead that flock, and the church grows in its doctrine, it grows in its witness. You see, the Great Commission is intended to be accomplished in the environment of local churches. And when we pull it outside of the local churches, what happens is we focus on small elements of the Great Commission, but we never keep the totality in focus. Well, I think the other part about the uh, the commissioning, the Great Commission in the local church is that the local church is made up of parts. E each part is committed to to doing that, but they each bring a different set of skills and a different set of abilities to uh, accomplishing that Great Commission. Yeah, so like I'm naturally given to, to being a student. It's kind of what I enjoy. So I love studying the complexities of God's word. And if you put me in an environment where I wasn't in a local church, I could easily think the only thing that matters about being a Christian is how much you study the Bible. <laughs> but, but then this other person comes into my local church and they have maybe the gifts of service or helps. And, and, and I begin to see what encouragement they are to me and to other people. And then I begin to realize, no, there's a lot, a bigger thing going on in the gospel. W when you put Christians together, God gives people in many ways. And I think one of the reasons people never get into the local church is we get focused on the idea that what we see as needs are the only needs and what we have as gifts are the only things that matter. And the local church just constantly brings us into conflict and tension with people with other gifts. And hopefully if we're humble enough, we'll recognize we need each other. Well, we know that God instituted the local church in much the same way as he instituted family and government to minister to us on his behalf. Um, and we are, God has commanded us as believers to obey each of these because they've been put in place in our life by God to fulfill a particular purpose in our lives. Um, so we... How do we ad address the uh, spiritual leadership within the church, and how, how does that work? I mean, who, who is supposed to be the spiritual leader, who is uh, qualified to be the leader, and so on and so forth in, in a local church? How is that determined? All right, so I, I like the way the book lays it out. There's three institutions that God has ordained. There is the family. There's human government. Remember, family, uh, Genesis 2. Uh, right. Then you have um, human government. I believe it's Genesis 10. Um, that is right after the flood. And then you have the local church, Acts 2, and then a host of other passages. And so I like the fact that it starts there, that God instituted the church. Um one of the concerns I have today is that people view church much like they do um, political parties. Um, they're like, they view them as the work of man and something you can decide if you should or should not join. Um, I once heard a guy describe it like this. They said they walked into Sam's club once and the person looked at him and said, would you like to become a member of Sam's club? And he thought, 
Never even thought about it. Don't know what it means to be a member. Why would I want to be a member? And the fundamental answer they gave him is they would give him a free card with his picture on it. And he was like, sure. Um, so he became a member of Sam's Club to get a card and a picture. And then he found out it gave him purchasing power. Right. All right. Um, so it, from a very consumeristic perspective, he joined Sam's Club because it gave him something. But I can remind you, that is not the foundation for the local church. We joined the local church because God instituted the local church. All of the New Testament were written to individual local churches. The expectation is that Christians would be part of local churches. That, that's why Paul went and founded local churches. So as I said, who is it that should lead a local church? I, I think it's the, the fundamental answer has to be the people that God put in leadership there. If we are, if we are uh, called to be part of a church, we are called to be a servant in the church, then there has to be a central leadership um, but this goes back to the shepherd part of it, right? This is the part that where the shepherd of the church is um, is a God-ordained servant-minded person, uh, male specifically, who is spiritually qualified to lead the church. Is that, is that safe to say? Is that, is that a correct way to put it? Yeah, so I love the quote our book had in 103. It was from Bruce McAllister. He was the director of the ministerial training at Bob Jones University. His statement was, the pastor is not merely a big sheep. He is a shepherd. Um, and I think that's a really powerful quote. Um, it, a lot of people imagine that a pastor is just a exalted member in the congregation. By the way, we're not exalted. We're just members. But what we are is members with a God-given responsibility to lead the church in given ways. And if you go to page 112, for those of you who have the book, um, in that list, in Mark 10, God has ordained servant leadership. 1 Timothy 2.12, God ordained male leadership. 1 Timothy 3.1-13, God has ordained qualified and spiritual leadership. By the way, biblical qualification always precedes ministry. You don't start ministry and hope you get qualified. You get qualified, then you start ministry. Okay? You, don't, you don't build into it. You don't grow into it, the position. Right, no. Uh, First, Peter, First Timothy 4.12, God has ordained exemplary leadership. And I, I really believe that pastors lead predominantly through our example First Peter five three and First Timothy five seventeen. We lead through our preaching and teaching. Um, that, that's the primary way we lead. But it is important to understand pastors lead churches, and I know this isn't popular today. Right. Well, it's uh, that that is for certain. Uh, people don't want to to submit to any kind of leadership these days. It seems like. Uh, no matter what field you're in, but particularly in the church, for some reason, I'm going to do it my way seems to be the, uh, the mantra that is being held. Um, it, yeah, so much and, so when I talk to young men looking at the pastorate, they're actually concerned about going into the ministry today because they sense there's an anti-authoritarianism that is pervading the evangelical church. And 
by the way, I think I, I you could say it's because there's been overly harsh pastors in the past. There's all kinds of reasons. But you know what? James kind of says this: sin does not start on the outside and work its way in. Sin starts on the inside and works its way out. Our problem today is that in our Western American world, we've become so incredibly individualized. We struggle to understand that God puts us into a church and God puts authorities over us in that church. It's You don't volunteer your way in and then volunteer who's going to lead, right? This is a God thing, not just an us thing. So are these some of the, is this sort of the wolves that first uh, that John's talking about in first John, uh, the, the wolves from within the church, or is, is that the direction you're headed with that? You know, I don't know. See, here's the challenge with the wolves. They were doctrinally in error. Okay. But, but I don't, we never fear actually find out who the wolves are. Uh, and they're an actually an ax, but the, the, the challenge is, they're the wool the, when you have false teachers coming in the church and paul dealt an awful lot with false teachers um he calls them out on their false teaching and yet like you get to second corinthians i believe it's 13 the last chapter there um he paul was just thankful at if if the gospel was being preached even if people didn't like him he was glad that the gospel went forward um, and he was really humble about that. But I, I would just say we want to be careful we don't take that principle and override the clear emphasis of Scripture, and that is that the pastor's job is not only to protect from doctrinal error, but the pastor's job is to point people to the full responsibility of obedience to God's Word. Um, by the way, the, a pastor only has delegated authority. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, he, he serves because God has called him to that position. So therefore, it's delegated authority. Yeah, and, and you think about it, even the authority of what a pastor says. It, right. it, what I say means nothing in our church unless it is a clear principle of Scripture or maybe the application is, is linked to Scripture. Okay, the authority is God-given and the authority is Scripture itself. And come, yeah, it comes from the scripture itself. So let's uh, let's move on a little bit. Why why should I serve in the church? I mean, is there we've sort of hit on hit and miss on this a little bit. What did, why should we do this? I, you know, Hebrews ten twenty four, our, our memory verse uh, for this chapter, commands us to be faithful in our church attendance, but it requires more than that. What? Why should we do this? I mean, it can't I come and just sit in the pew? Well, yeah, that, that you hit it right on the head. Hebrews ten twenty four, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. If you come into church with a passive consumerism, which means I'm just here because I have to be here and I want to know what you're going to give me, that is not um, meeting the biblical requirement. You should be coming into church saying, "How can I help provoke others to good works and a good and and how can I provoke others to authentic agape love?" Um, and, and that means you're active in a local church. Everybody is. Church is church is not a country club. Church is a <laughs> to use a to use somebody that I work with said. Church is a is a uh, is a verb. We need to be working. Treat it as a verb. It isn't a verb, but treat it as a verb. We're supposed to serve in the church. 
Yeah, and I I feel like that is an area that the church has always struggled with um, because there is a sense in where when I come to church, I I am part of a body that ministers to me. Right. But then I also have to make sure that I am responding reciprocally and re- and ministering grace to the people around me. Um, and I don't know about you, but I come into church some days and I'm tired and, and I'm frustrated and I'm overwhelmed. And, and the question I'm thinking in my head is, what am I going to get out of this? Right. Not who is it that I can serve and who can I minister to? So I would just say, yeah, I'm with you. We, we need to be ministering in the needs of the church. So it's, it's really a good idea before you come to church to pray, to be spend time praying and asking God to help you to be an encouragement to someone else, because that's really what we're called to do. Um, and also to sort of be the uh, discipleship mentor thing that we've been talking about, the system that we've been talking about throughout this whole podcast uh, series, which is we need to be helping train others to be more Christ-like. Um, and, and that's a function of the local church in which we should be participating, correct? Absolutely. And by the way, we do that under the pastors and under the um, and with the service of the deacons. And let me quickly hit that because that's an important part. When we're, we keep talking about the authority of pastors and that, but what exactly is it? In First Timothy five seventeen, it says the elders who rule well. I mean, that's a very strong statement. Elders rule. And they don't all rule well, but the ones who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So there's a sense in where the function of a pastor in the church as it continues has some very has a lot of similarities to what the apostles originally did at the founding of the church. Remember in Acts six, the 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 uh, pastors were struggling. Uh, the elder, excuse me, the apostles were struggling because they wanted to minister in word. And 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 the problem was there was this issue with these Grecian women who were not being cared for, and it was not only taking up too much of the pastor's time. It was uh, it was distracting the apostles away from their word based ministry. So in order to be the protectors of unity, they they. They got what I call apostolic helpers. They become, in principle, the foundation of the deacons. What they did is they said, our job is to help. This is the original setting. Our job is to help the apostles by taking care of an issue that's causing disunity in the church, a practical matter, and so that the gospel goes forth with power. And in in many ways today, um, there's kind of two offices in the, well, there are two offices in the church. The pastors, we tend to engage issues through preaching. We engage issues through teaching. So when you come to me, you're going to hear me explain the Bible, a lot of teaching. Uh, And uh, there's others in the church that look and go, hey, there's disunity, there's challenges. And what they realize is there's serving needs. And and what they do is they, they go and engage. And that's the role of the deacons in the office and then the women who serve as the deaconesses in a church. So the, the local church is made up of the shepherds, and then you have the deacons, and that deacon role is really a servant role. It's not necessarily the counterbalance to the pastor or that sort of thing. It's really a, de- it's really a servant role, and, and we need to understand that if you're going to fill the role of a deacon, right? Yeah, some people imagine the deacon it as the counterbalance to the elder or the pastor. 
And I think it is far better to understand the deaconate as being the servants of the past of the pastors. The deacons come in and the pastors are leading. The pastors are leading through the word. They're leading through their example. We're counseling. We're doing all these things, but we can't do everything. And we know that the real world ministry needs service. And so do the pastors. We need to be cared for. And so what the deacons do is they come alongside and they take things off of the pastor's plate and they say, here, I can help you with that. And I can help you with this. Um, but what they, but from the church's perspective, what they look up and see is this, they see the pastors leading, counseling, teaching, mentoring. We see all this. And then all of a sudden they, they realize, oh man, I, there's these other issues in the church. You know, we need to have, I'll pick, we just had a uh, church meal. Well, we need the meal served and we need who's going to put it together and, and people need to step in and do those service roles. So what the pastors are calling for, and that is unity and growth and, and, you know, and celebrating in that case, it was our 51st anniversary, right. As a church um, where it's, it takes both. Um, and, and by the way, I think both need to be pulling together in the same way, and it really helps the congregation see what it looks like. So in a sense, we both model together in offices in a very unified way the direction that God has for us. And I think it, it's helpful for those who are participating in a local church to understand that the pastor has been, or pastors in, in our case, um, have been called to be in that position by God and that it really wasn't a human call. It was God leading them to this, this location and understanding that God is the one that is leading him. Um, I think that's, you know, it, it, it helps me to understand my role in church. If I understand that my leadership in front of me, it was God placed, God placed them here. And, and I need to submit to that in a biblical way. And by the way, that doesn't lead pastors into arrogance. I could kind of tell you what it feels like, you know, on the other side of the sausage making. You know, um, when when I realized God's called me to my shepherding role in the church, what it really means for me is responsibility. Right. It's not privilege. It's not perk. It is an immense, deep sense of responsibility um, that God called me to a spiritual task. And I, I can tell you, just as having been a teacher in church, you realize that the people who are listening to you, uh, you are responsible for giving them accurate information, biblical, scriptural information. And I, that has weighed heavy on me uh, in, that, in that role. Yeah, and I, I really believe that the calling to the pastorate is even a much more profound sense of spiritual responsibility. And People have asked me, how do you know who you're supposed to be a pastor for? And one of my answers is this. Uh, when pastors walk among our people and we serve them, we, we look at people and we sense deeply and profoundly the spiritual responsibility for the people we care for. So, by the way, if you're, if you're kind of – remember, we started with this concept. What do you do if you're sitting there going, I'm part of a small group or maybe I haven't even returned back to church? Why would I come back to church? And I think one of the most profound reasons is this. You really want a pastor who's going to someday give an account for you. You want them to know you. You want them to set that sense of responsibility. You want that relationship. But I would also say this, the pastors and the deacons, we need you, right? right. We, we, right. we need every member of the church in the local body working together, arm in arm, you know, arm leg, arm eye, whatever, all the parts, right? Yep. All coming together to accomplish what the Lord has for us. 
And that, you know, and, and so that, that model has been brought up. You, you mentioned acts and, and other places um, so that it really doesn't make a lot of sense for us to put a lot of time and effort into a parachurch organization or our parachurch organizations really just a, supposed to be an extension of the church or how does, how do they fit into this? Cause nowadays there seems like every corner's got a parachurch uh, office on it and, and they're, you know, they're asking for funding to do this or that. Yeah, let me define that. That's like the Christian radio stations. That's like mission agencies. Sorry, picking on things you and I both work at, right? Yeah, um, exactly. So there we go. Um, it's it's Bible colleges and seminaries. It's all the thing. So you and I both have roles in all these. We're not saying they're bad. Um, right. But what we are saying is this. They're auxiliary. Now, what value does a college or a seminary have? My fundamental answer is not what value does it have to the academy, but what value does it have to local churches? Right. It, we perceive our value in where the rubber meets the road in everyday local ministry. I think as a radio station, as you work there, that's something you care about, right? Right, exactly. And, it, and we, we see radio as being a support for the local church. And in some ways, sort of like this podcast. Um, we, we are trying to help the people during the week to encourage them and, and to infor, uh, reinforce what they're being taught on Sunday. Yeah. See, the real danger is for that, that comes with parachurch is when we start to take responsibilities that belong in the church and we delegate them out to organizations that are not a local church. But I appreciate people that print books. I appreciate those who translate Bibles. I appreciate those who are involved in campus ministry, but they are just a small part of a much bigger um, mission, the Great Commission. And the Great Commission was not given to Bible printers or to radio stations or to seminaries. The Great Commission was entrusted to local churches. And I think we got to make sure in all parachurch ministry that the focus stays right where it belongs, and that is we're there to support local church ministries. And I think this goes back, we're back to full circle where we started uh, this podcast and, and why is it important? What's the difference between a Bible study and a, and a church? It's the same sort of difference that we have with a parachurch organization and a church. You know, God, uh, we, the, the dissemination of the gospel starts at the local church. We need that fellowship. We need the doctrine and we need all of that. And, and nothing really should take the place of that. Uh, except, you know, take the place of the local church for all of that, uh, all of that work. You know, as I was working through this chapter in my own life, it just reinforced in me a really strong commitment to personal involvement in a local church. And, and I'm hoping that that's something, if you're mentoring, the first thing you got to ask yourself is this, am I completely invested in my local church? Right. Not like, do I show up, but what level of investment am I willing to give? And the answer ought to be whatever the Holy Spirit desires, right? Sell right. out. Um, exactly. And, and the second thing I would ask is this, are you intentionally mentoring your mentory into your local church? You know, it's a dangerous thing to get involved in mentoring where you're sitting there saying, I just want to be involved in your life and help you learn God's word, but I don't want to push you into your into this local church. 
Now, I want to tell you, that is not a healthy environment at all. Biblical ministry always points to the local church. When you have ministry pointing away, what you're doing is you're creating, remember I described that uh, the zebra that was away from the pack that gets eaten by the lion. If we are pushing people, not encouraging people over and over again to involve in a local church, what we're doing is we're creating spiritual zebras that live outside the pack and they will get eaten. Yes, because there's no support. Uh, Exactly. There's no support. Um, so does that does that extend to the to the mentoree who is already involved in a Bible teaching church, but doesn't is not being discipled there? You're your friends, and so for whatever reason, you're discipling them. Yeah. So one thing I always say is never become divisive in another Bible preaching church. So if I'm mentoring someone who's maybe, maybe I'm a college student mentoring another college student who goes to another Bible preaching church, I can have a mentorship, but I'm going to tell them my mentorship will stop at some level because you need to get the, take the next step in your church. Right. Now, if that person looks at it and goes, well, I can't take that step in my church. It's not, they don't preach the Bible or they don't baptize people rightly or they're teaching false doctrine. Then what we tell them is say, get out of there and get to a place where you can grow in your walk with the Lord. Right. But if they're in a Bible preaching church, we just keep encouraging them, hey, what you're seeing me do in mine, go do in yours. Thanks, Pastor Tim. We thank you for listening on, to us on this uh, episode of Foundations for Discipleship. This has been a really challenging thing for me to, do the, the, to be involved in the local church and encourage others to be involved in the local church. But this podcast really only hits the highlights of each chapter. And so we would encourage you to go page by page through each chapter in this book and look up and read each of the biblical references and fill in the areas that are blank so that you get a complete understanding of the chapter as you prepare to teach your mentoree. Um, That's the whole idea here is that you become so uh, involved in each of these chapters that you are able and are comfortable to teach someone else. Yep. Uh, we are praying that uh, that God would use this podcast to strengthen and encourage those who listen and who are mentoring others and are laying foundations for lifelong discipleship. That's that's our prayer for for this uh, podcast. So for Pastor Tim, I thank you. I'm Alan. Join us next time for our discussion on temptation. Uh, and then so until then, so long. Mm-hmm.